We have a bonus episode of the Penalty Box this week. I had a chance to sit down with Will Snow, who's a senior reporter here at the sports department at the DP, a former senior sports editor, uh, and a great all-around person, and a really, really smart and thoughtful journalist. Um, we're talking about two uh, pretty groundbreaking stories that he published over the past few weeks about concussions, and um, we'll talk a little bit about the content and the production of those stories and about some kind of ancillary issues that uh, we thought were relevant but didn't kind of have the space for in the newspaper. Um, and so I hope everybody enjoys that. Uh, it was really great to be able to sit down and talk with him, as it always is. Shot is no good. The rebound tapped back outside. The cannon drives the lane, blocked by Wolf. Rebound Pennsylvania. Dave Wall, the Bilski's Leon to the wall in the middle, up and good. Leon too fast, Greg executed to perfection. Here comes Fields the other way for a foul. Gets to the foul line, blocked from behind by Wall. Wall with the rebound, no good. Rebound, Bob Wall, Pennsylvania. Hot left pass to Bilski. Taylor's going to run again. Bilski has Calhoun and Wolf all the way underneath. Can he go through? So I'm sitting here with William Snow, author of Two incredible stories came out in the DP the past couple weeks. Thanks for being on the penalty box in this special episode, and I'm very excited to be talking with you. Of course. Thank you for the flattery. Um, I'm a big fan of the podcast. Excellent. Thank you very much. Um, so I think most people listening to this have probably read your stories, but for people that haven't, let me briefly tell me what, uh, what you've been writing about and, and why it's so important that uh, the DP is covering this. Of course. Well, it started um, in the middle of the summer uh, when I got a tip that there were three members of last year's Penn Sprint football team that suffered severe concussions and had to quit the team. Um, they wouldn't be on the team this fall, and two of them even had to take time off from school. So, to me, that was pretty startling, um, and I figured it was worth looking into. But what I did not expect when I embarked on this process was how um, big of an enterprise it would turn into. Um, when I spoke with the three players, uh, Kevin Legeness, Matt Gorman, and Connor Ashton, um, they all had really compelling stories um, of the symptoms they were still suffering to this day, um, of the struggles that they faced in... Uh, trying to decide whether they need to quit the sport, take time off from school. Um, and so there were really just a lot of compelling narratives that came out of it that resulted in the first story of this two-part series, which was that um, these three men have gone through so much over the course of the last year, um, and it created a very interesting narrative of how do you decide when you are concussed, when you need treatment, when you should stop playing the sport and when it's affecting your life so much that you need to make drastic decisions like leaving school. Uh, the second part of the story resulted from me taking some time after those first interviews with those three ex-players to sort of analyze what they were saying. Um, all three of them tried to play through their concussions and they spoke of how they weren't alone in that. Um, and so I thought that merited further investigation. And as I interviewed other people on the record, off the record, on the team, off the team, um, I found that there tended to be a pervasive culture of playing through injuries, whether to the body or the head. 
Um, now, of course, not everybody on the sprint football team would disregard a concussion and um, treat it so lightly, but the fact that there were such numbers um, to me was very striking. I figured that in 2018, with all of the research that's been done and the media attention that concussions have been getting, um, I thought there would have been much more of a unified front uh, from the Penn Sprint football team that, no, we, we do take concussions seriously, and um, that's not something we would ever try to tough out or play through. Um, so it was very interesting exploring the culture of the team in that regard for the second piece. Yeah, and I, I think part of what's so interesting about um, this story is that it's, I mean, it's clearly not like, you know, a, any old DP sports story. And, and even when we, uh, you know, have stories about some sort of an injury, there, there's something very unique and, and terrifying about head injuries in particular. Um, were, were there... I'm I'm sure there there were challenges the unique challenges to to reporting on on this um, kind of topic. Certainly. Yeah. Um, this was one of the heaviest things I've ever had to report on, other than um, that infamous day two years ago with the racist group me. Um, at the DP Sports, we love to talk about sports and the greater aspects of it. Um, how much fun and meaning it can bring to people's lives, but um, this was an especially challenging story to write because of just how heavy it is. Um, we're talking about people a year after they take an awkward fall, uh, getting up in the middle of the night, and they feel like they have needles pricking into their face, um, or they find themselves unable to focus in the middle of class. Um, that they would take a midterm and have to go home and lie down for three days because it was such difficult mental exertion. That's not a year after the injury, but still, uh, even two months after. These are really severe consequences we're talking about. Um, I was surprised that one of the difficulties reporting this story was not um, getting people to speak frankly. Oftentimes, people spoke so frankly it surprised me. Um, though, of course, once I was trying to get people on the team to talk, um, there were the typical challenges of people not wanting to say anything that would upset the apple cart. Um, so that's something that we don't typically face for your average Daily Penn sports story. Um, I will say that it was difficult for me to write... Um, because it was just taxing, thinking so hard and critically about such, uh, frankly, depressing material. It, uh, it took a number on me to, to write both of those pieces, but I'm glad that um, I could get what I see as an important conversation out into the public forum. Yeah, well, thank you for doing that. Um, I know it was hard to read. I'm sure it was hard to write. Um, so. Penn, Penn in general and, and Penn Athletics especially and, and the Ivy League have all tried to be kind of on the front lines of dealing with concussion-related issues and trying to limit concussions, especially in sports like football and sprint football that have so many of them. Um, t talk to me about this underlying culture that, that especially came out in this, the second article that we, while the, the kind of higher-ups and the, and the, 
the public face is that this is a serious problem and we're going to deal with it. What's the the, the kind of the, the part that they don't want to show you the mm. the the elements that that don't treat it so seriously. Right, and that is the thrust of the second story that there is this disconnect between the league, the administration, the coaches, and the trainers who are all saying, "Guys, you gotta take this more seriously." Um, and of course, you could be critical of the administration and other stakeholders at some point for saying, "Are you really doing enough?" But you cannot deny that they're doing something. Um, I was so surprised to hear of uh, rumors that players would tank the uh, baseline testing for concussion protocol so that if they were concussed, they could then compare themselves to their lower baseline test and be cleared even if they're still symptomatic. Um, I was startled to hear about widespread resistance to new safety measures that were implemented at the beginning of this season where players would wear an extra shell of padding around their helmets to reduce the rate of head injuries. Um, I was shocked to hear about people joking so openly and freely about um, CTE and traumatic brain damage. Um, it really did seem that there was a disconnect between um, a portion of the players, not everybody, and um, the narrative that administrations, the media, the leagues have been pushing uh, for the players to take this more seriously. Right. And, I mean, it, it's not just something it's, that's happening at Penn, right? This has obviously racked the NFL and college football and um, all of these. It, it seems like it, like this must be happening at virtually every program in the country at, and even at the high school level. Um, I mean, it, it's a really difficult thing to shift, like, a culture. But, but that's... It seems like that's what needs to happen. I mean, what, what do you think about that? Or what, what's the path forward for these programs? It is really difficult. Um, and so as much credit as you can give to all of the people at the higher levels for trying to do something, uh, the question inevitably becomes, can there ever be something that is enough? Um, most of the people I talked to for this story tended to say yes you can make the game safe, safe enough to where there will inevitably be concussions, but you can prevent as many as possible and treat the ones that do occur as well as possible. Um, I have forgotten what the second part of your question was, if you would... Refresh. About the how to shift the culture of reporting right. and of wanting to play... Because it seems like, you know, and, and, the, and the research supports this, the initial concussion isn't good, but what is so damaging is the, those sub-concussive hits after the right. first concussion, right? Right. Um, and is, that's what uh, tends to lead to brain damage and CTE right. down the road. Yeah. So I think the issue with the players themselves being the ones to uphold this culture and perpetuate it is um, people I spoke to for this story not on the sprint football team tended to whisper a little bit about uh, toxic masculinity and um, pride and even uh, insecurity that these people um, on the team who do choose to play through concussions, they, um, they just feel the need to prove themselves. Um, it's often starters, um, and as was later noted to me, people who might never have been good enough in high school to play at the NCAA D1 level for football, 
Um, and so they had to develop this mentality of being so gritty and pushing through because that was the only way they were going to play any college football. Right. Um, and so that sort of mentality, uh, for the sprint football team at least, and to an extent it exists throughout football, um, really has entrenched the culture to a point where I'm not sure it can change. And, I mean, it seems like some of this has to be baked in because you're talking about a sport that's, well, I mean, all of athletics is built on competition, and if you've gotten to this level, you have to have, some, as you said, that grip, but also just this competitive drive. And, and especially when you think about, like, a very common practice, and, and it'd be, be hard to say that coaches shouldn't do this, is to encourage competition within the team and for people to feel like they have to give their all if they want to keep their playing time. And mm-hmm. they, I mean, it, it makes sense if you're thinking about a way to design a system for people to give their all, but if you then layer on, you know, that these sorts of injuries can happen to people and if they push through them. Because, you know, if, if there's like a knee injury that you push through, you potentially make it worse, but the extent to which you're going to create uh, you know, lo- like lifelong problems for mm-hmm. yourself that will impact all other aspects of your life is is pretty low. You know, in the in the kind of worst cases, you you maybe have some sort of issues, but I mean, w- with head injuries, it's just so damaging, and and it it seems like it's it's especially in football. You know, with that kind of it, it's a sport about trying to you know to 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 go after people as hard as you can, and you have to be violent and you have mm-hmm. to be rough and. Um, I mean, I, I don't know if we are, are going to say that, that football, this is the end of football, but it certainly seems like there's only so much from a cultural standpoint that can actually change in the game. Right. Um, football definitely is a violent sport. Um, and, you know, you, of course, can trace back um, societal condoning of violent sport all the way back to the gladiators of Rome. This is not new. Right. Um it's just that with new science, we're discovering the longer-term effects of this. Um, with football, we're not talking about a uh, little bit of bloody nose or limping on a gimp leg after you've done playing the sport. We're talking about uh, depression. We're talking about lowered IQs. We're talking about, um, ultimately, things that could result in suicide, as we've seen with multiple pen football players in the past. Um, so it's difficult to balance how much the sport provides to people's lives with how much it could take away. Um, sources, of course, have told me that, you know, football is their life. Um, and you, of course, could never calculate the statistic of people's lives who were saved by football because it kept them out of gangs or um, because it got them a college scholarship. Um, but you do have to look it straight on and say that it does considerable damage that it doesn't necessarily mean the sport should be ended, but at the very least should be confronted. Definitely. And do you think there's, uh, overlap with this conversation and uh, ongoing conversations about exploitation of athletes in college? Because it seems like, you know, when... When this conversation is happening around the NFL, a lot of times the response people will give, and, and you know this, this may or may not be justified, is, well, yeah, but they're being paid X number of million dollars to do it, so maybe it's worth it. Mm-hmm. But it, especially if you're talking about a program like one at Penn, or especially sprint football, where there's not even any possibility of going pro, 
Um, but, but even in Penn football, most of these guys don't expect to go pro. That's why they're at a school like Penn. Um, and they're, they're not being paid anything now. In fact, they're forbidden from making any money right. now. And they're still taking on this huge amount of risk. I mean, do you, do you think there's a, there needs to be kind of an intersection in those conversations? Uh, there very well could be, and perhaps should be. Um, of course, the first thing people will say is, well, multiple sources uh, on the team or formerly on the team for my story said, well, playing football got me into Penn. I didn't have the grades to get into Penn on my own merit, uh, but Coach Wagner recruited me, and I'm so grateful for that because this has set me up for life. So, of course, I may have headaches and dizziness, um, but I got an education that will get me a job hell maybe on Wall Street and as long as I'm aware of those risks I should be able to take them um, and that's a very compelling argument of course people on the other extreme may say well people know the risks of taking heroin um, we know that that's that person's choice and it doesn't hurt anybody else necessarily or directly but we don't let people shoot heroin because right. it just causes a deep existential harm. And I think there, you know, as, as positive as those scholarships that Penn doesn't give out athletic scholarships, but many schools do, and as positive as, you know, that um, admissions assistance can be, I think that then begs the question of, so we're essentially setting up a system where um, the rich and privileged don't have to put their brain and their body on the line to get jobs and people that don't necessarily have the resources to go to college or, um, you know, wouldn't be, you know, on, on a track to get into Penn have to make these huge sacrifices. That doesn't seem like, I mean, that, I mean, if you were going to describe a dystopia, that, that might be a pretty good one, right? Is that right. The, 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 the less privileged members of society have to incur brain damage in order to get an equal opportunity as the more privileged members of society. <laughs> of course. And it doesn't sound like a system that I want to live in, right? It sounds a little bit like the Hunger Games, to yeah. be honest. Um, of course, nobody from District 1 wants to sign up uh, to get their heads bashed in. Right. But people from District 13 who need to feed their families, uh, it's a separate case. You know, it's certainly uh, an issue that, that has a lot, of, a lot of overlap in these kind of class discussions that we maybe don't have uh, the space to get into right now, but mm -hmm. thank you so much for uh, for pursuing this and, and, and doing the kind of journalism that you do and, and also for coming on and talking with me. This has been really elucidating and, and uh, hope everybody enjoys it. Of course. Thanks so much for having me on the pod for the first time, Sam. Uh, wish you all the best. Thanks. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks again to William Snow. I hope everyone listening enjoyed that conversation as much as I enjoyed being a part of it. Uh, I think these are really important issues and we weren't able to get into kind of everything that goes into them, but it's something that we're going to definitely continue to cover both uh, in the written DP and also here in podcasts. Um, thanks, as always, to the Daily Pennsylvanian and especially DP Sports uh, and to Allie Johnson, who's the podcast editor. And we will be back with a new penalty box uh, very soon.